the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob Fretz. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're underway on a Wednesday. It's the 27th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so very much for choosing to join us this morning. Coming up, hour number one is open for you, guest-free in the first hour. I do have a monologue I want to get with, get to you with, uh, but I will take your phone calls in the first hour, too. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Leave messages for me on the sound-off button on the Always Right webpage, which is alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. And I definitely have some things on there that I'm going to play and uh, respond to today. Uh, coming up in the second hour, however, we have some tremendous guests. At 1010, we're going to talk to Patrick Wood. Now, normally, I talk to Patrick Wood about Citizens for Free Speech, as he is the founder and executive director of Citizens for Free Speech. That's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about the Crimes Against Humanity Tour. All across the country, eight dates in various parts of the country, in which Patrick Wood, uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Reiner Fulmick, and Dr. Richard Fleming are there to share everything that they know with their considerable experience. This is a tremendous presentation. Their uh, considerable experience um, with essentially what is a consortium of global technocrats and transhumanists using bioweapons against humanity. And if you don't think 
that the coronavirus pandemic gave them a perfect opportunity to do this, then you're not paying attention. They absolutely have. So this is a live discussion talking about gain-of-function research that the NIAID and other U.S. federal agencies have funded, including but not limited to Dr. Fauci's involvement in in that funding and everything that has been done uh, since the pandemic was declared on a global scale, crimes against humanity. So they had their first event a few days ago in Fort Myers, Florida, as if there's another Fort Myers, right? It was sabotaged. It was sabotaged. And I will let him tell you how and why and what that means, what kinds of forces that they might be going up against for telling the truth that people do not want to know, and they don't want people to hear. So Patrick Wood will be with me at uh, 1010. At 1035, Dr. Duke Pesta will be joining me. He's from the Heartland Institute, from the John Birch Society, director of the Freedom Project Academy, and more. Dr. Pesta is going to be in town because he has got three events coming up that he's going to be a part of here in Northeast Ohio in the uh, last few days before the elections on Tuesday. Dr. Pesta is going to be at Ohio Freedom Fighters tonight. He's going to be at... um, uh, Mulligan's Restaurant in uh, 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 Canton on Thursday night, and he's going to be at McFan, Medina County Friends and Neighbors, on Saturday morning at the Thirsty Cowboy in Medina. So this is a great opportunity to listen and learn uh, from Dr. Duke Pesto, who's going to talk about the corruption of the education system in all ways, from CRT to SEL to CSE and so much more. So Dr. Duke Pesta will join us with a preview of those things. And then our friend Neil McCabe from the Ohio Star will join us for his weekly visit uh, on all things Ohio politics, again, as we approach the Ohio primaries coming up on Tuesday. So those are the guests, Patrick Wood, Dr. Duke Pesta, Neil McCabe, all will be with us, and I'm looking forward to great conversations with them and with you. Again, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, I'd like to start, if you wouldn't mind, Patriots, and I know you don't mind. In fact, you look forward to this every day. Go ahead and rise. Stand and face a flag near you if you have one. If you do not, that's all right. Go ahead and imagine one, but please put your hand on your heart and join us. If you're driving right now, you're excused from standing, but you can probably still manage the hand on the heart as we pledge allegiance to this great country. If you are a Brandon voter and if you are a believer that social media should not allow free speech and that Elon Musk should not be allowed to convert a liberal echo chamber into a free speech zone, then you don't understand what this flag represents anyway. You're excused. You go ahead and take a knee over there next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Now, I've got so many things to uh, try to cover for you in the uh, opening monologue this morning. Um, It's not going to be one big one. I've got too many things that you need to hear. With respect to the last thing that I said before the pledge, if you believe that Elon Musk taking over uh, Twitter, privatizing it, and allowing free speech within the bounds of the law, if you think that's a bad thing, if you think that's uh, a negative for the country, then you're doing life wrong, quite frankly. I want to share this with you briefly. Yesterday, Elon Musk, the richest man in the world and now the owner of Twitter, uh, responded to the hand-wringing and the tears, literal snowflake tears, melting and melting over Twitter 
you know, losing their, their ability to just beat conservatives into submission before they ban them and suspend them and shadow ban and limit their reach. They're literally crying about it. Elon Musk tweeted, the extreme antibody reaction from those who fear free speech says it all. And he went on to say, by free speech, I simply mean that which matches the law. I am against censorship that goes beyond the law. If people want less free speech, they will ask government to pass laws to that effect. Therefore, going beyond the law is contrary to the will of the people. And he could not be more spot on. Can you dig it? Yeah. Because people like... People like Humpty Dumpty, Brian Stelter over on CNN want you to believe that what Twitter is going to devolve into is some sort of racist, neo-Nazi haven in which people can f- throw around the, the F word and the N word and the uh, plan hate rallies and all kinds of other terrible, terrible things that, of course, do not define conservatives in any way, shape or form. But this is the boogeyman they try to create, right? They think that there's going to be, quote-unquote, no rules. And Elon Musk said, sure, there are going to be rules. But the rules that are already existing in the law. You're not going to be able to yell fire in a crowded theater, and you're not going to be able to plan um, terror attacks on Twitter. Because free speech, free speech will still will be in effect, and it still will be um, limited by the law. And if somebody wants to change the law, then they change the law. But right now, this is what the law is, and that's what Twitter is going to go by. So that's that's part one. Part two of this follow-up story, actually parts two and three of this follow-up story, when you talk about the total meltdown, when you talk about the complete loss of all reason and sensibility, well, then you have to talk about the leftists who were running Twitter before. Forget about the Brian Stelters on the outside. Forget about those individuals for the moment. Let's talk about... Um, the uh, people who were running Twitter before, they are the ones that are having the the biggest meltdowns, the biggest concerns, the biggest uh, fears. Their worst fears come to life, I guess is the best way to say it. One of them literally was crying as she discussed the future of Twitter with her, uh, with her um, associates and her subordinates, I guess, moreover. She was literally crying, and Elon Musk felt the need to respond to this. This was the top lawyer, by the way, at at uh, Twitter. This was a top lawyer representing the company, all right? And according to Politico, she heads Twitter's trust and safety team, and she started crying and blubbering when talking with her subordinates about what might be coming next for the site. Her name is... Um, uh, Vijaya Gaddy, I'm guessing on the pronunciation, V-I-J-A-Y-A-Y-A, which is Vijaya, as far as I can see it, in Gaddy or Gad, called a virtual meeting with the policy and legal team that she oversees. During the meeting, she expressed concerns with how the company would change, and she cried because of uh, they would lose some of the control over what they published and what they didn't, what they allowed people to post without uh, censoring or, or banning them and what they didn't. And it's important to note this, and Elon Musk did so, that she was the lead Twitter power broker who made the decision to suspend the account of one of the largest media companies in America 
for publishing a story that was 100% true. You know the one I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about the New York Post, who published a few weeks before the election the true story of Hunter Biden's laptop of shame, his laptop from hell, which contained enough information to burn Joe Biden to the ground. Not only did Twitter bury that story, they suspended the account so that the New York Post couldn't share that story on their platform again. No other media in the country would touch the story. It was verified by first-hand eyewitness accounts, including business partners of Hunter Biden, who talked about the access that Joe Biden was selling to the White House and Barack Obama by way of his last name. Hunter and his associates traded on that. And countless numbers of surveys have been done since the laptop from hell, as it's being known, or as it has been known and is being called, if it would have changed anything about their vote. And the answer has been unequivocally yes for an extraordinary number of Biden voters. So what Twitter did, Twitter helped change the course of American history here. You understand that? Twitter helped change the course of American history by not allowing that story to be run and posted by the New York Post. Censoring the New York Post along the way, as if to say, they are trafficking in Russian disinformation. It's always Russia is their go-to lie. Russia colluded with the Trump Trump campaign. Russia fed the fake Hunter Biden laptop story. So Elon Musk responded, suspending the Twitter account of a major news organization for publishing a truthful story was obviously incredibly inappropriate. Now that might be a hint as to what's going to happen next. Vijaya is about to be canned and sent packing on her left wing behind uh, by Elon Musk the moment he takes over. And I would imagine that anybody else that she worked with to create that fake news story and to crush a real news story and to ban a legitimate American news media outlet, I think they're all going to be going. Be going. And that's why they're crying. They're going to lose their ability to censor thought, to censor ideas, to censor the transmission of ideas, the sharing of them, if they don't like the ideas. They will determine, and that's what they have been doing. So that's the first part. Uh, And I think that's the second part, too, to be honest with you. Here is the third part. MSNBC's Ira Melber decided to go on the air yesterday and do what MSNBC does, which, of course, is just lie. But this is fear-mongering to a new level. It's a new low to the nth degree that if, Elon Musk owns Twitter, unlike when the trustworthy, far-left wingnuts owned and ran Twitter. If Elon Musk owns Twitter, people might actually be censored, and people might not be able to get their thoughts across, and in fact, they might limit the reach of certain candidates. I want you, if anybody ever asks you, how do you define hypocrisy, you share this with them. If you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else, and the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. 
Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. I'm going to play it again because you need to hear the full scope and the depth of the hypocrisy. Everything that he just describes is already being done. This is what he fears happening, but it's already being done. What's the difference? It's being done to conservatives only. His fear is that it will now be done to leftists. It won't be, because Elon Musk believes in free speech, even ridiculous wingnut leftist speech. But this is the the fear that they're trying to sow. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates. Liberal Twitter has been secretly banning a par- party's candidates and multiple candidates and one high-profile candidate by the name of Donald John Trump. They banned Donald Trump. And he's concerned that Twitter, under its new leadership, could ban candidates. Is he serious? They let this go to air. The producers, did they review the script that he was going to work from here? Or did he spring this on them? Because if they reviewed this and said, yeah, let's talk about the bad things that could happen, uh, then the whole lot of them should go. All of its nominees? Or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff? and turn. That's called shadow banning. I experienced it when I was on Twitter and I had 35,000 followers and I would uh, tweet some things and I would get hundreds of responses and then I would tweet other things and I would get two responses. And which of those things were they? They were the things that the left would be most likely to, to disagree with, I can guarantee you. The most likely things that they didn't want to read about or hear about. Had things having to do with COVID, things having to do with elections, uh, things having to do with uh, uh, January 6th. Those things get turned down so the reach would not be as far all the time. And he's worried that might happen under the new ownership. Reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else, and the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Exactly. So, again, I, I can't even understand the depths of the hypocrisy in which these people swim, but that is MSNBC for you. I've got more, but I want to hear from you, too. 216 Always Right Radio, and I am 1420 The Answer. Okay, 927 and 1420, The Answer. So I'm getting a lot of people uh, asking me questions about Dr. G, Sebastian Gorka. Hi, Bob. Um, Just calling to say, um, I heard your interview with Gorka, and man, that guy, uh, he he is not interested in hearing any unflattering, I guess, uh, criticism from about uh, President Trump and and Vance. But uh, he, he wouldn't even let you, you know, if, he asked for your side, but he sure wouldn't let you give it. And uh, he, he does that a lot. And I think that's, that's one part of his uh, presentation that needs to be improved. I've gotten several messages like that from um, 
from the uh, alwayswrite.us website, people leaving messages on the sound off page. I am going to respond to that after the bottom of the hour news. Um, it's something I need a little bit of time for. Um, I appreciate that, by the way. I'm, I got text messages and emails and voicemails galore from people saying, did you hear what Dr. Gorka said? Did you hear what Gorka said about you? Gorka's slamming you. What's going on with that? You should call in. Well, I didn't hear it live, but I heard about it as it was happening, so I quickly turned it on, and it was over by then. But I went ahead and sent a message to Dr. G's producer, because I know Dr. G's producer, because I worked with Dr. G's producer, because I hosted the Dr. G show. Uh, in addition to appearing on stage with a in a presentation with Dr. Gorka, he knows me very well, or rather he knows of me very well because we've done things together so i messaged uh jeff and i said do you think dr g would be willing to take my call so that i can perhaps challenge him on some of what he is saying right now as he praised jd vance and as he dressed down ohio callers who were concerned about the uh the the endorsement and uh i didn't get a reply then but i got a reply a couple hours after the show ended who said hey from from the producer who said can you pre-record a few minutes with Dr. Gorka tomorrow, which was yesterday. And I said, sure. And I had nine minutes with Dr. Gorka, and I spent probably six of them listening to him rant about how wrong I was, even though I didn't get a chance to express what I was trying to say. He left me holding a bag full of facts and and information that I wanted to unload and share, uh, but he bullied me off the uh, segment, and that's fine. I said it to uh, his producer, and I said it online when people ask me. It's fine. I said it on Truth Social. Did I mention I'm on Truth Social now? I'm on Truth Social. That's uh, Trump's uh, uh, Twitter. Trump's Twitter, if you will. It's called Truth Social. Uh, find me there at Always Right WHK. Anyway, as I said on there as well, um, it's his show. It's his rules. That's how it works. I've been in this game long enough to know if the host decides what to do and when to do it and how long you can go and so on and so forth. Uh, his show, his rules. Um, I said I'll respond on my show where I where it's my rules. And I will do that coming up after the news right now on AM 1420 The Answer. The darkness of tyranny. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hi, Bob. This is Debbie in North Royalton. Regarding the uh, Trump rally, I was really disappointed to hear him endorsing all the wrong people. He just knows nothing about what's going on in Ohio. By the way, when he was here last June in Lorain County, a lot of my friends who were there with, with um, Jonah Schultz T-shirts were not allowed to go in unless they turned the T-shirts inside out or put a Max Miller shirt on top of it. So this has happened before. We were real disappointed to hear that was going on. Um, yeah, what happened to free speech? What happened to free speech indeed? Debbie, thank you for that call, uh, or that message rather at alwayswrite.us. I did not know that at the time. I was at the rally, of course, in Wellington. That was after I interviewed President Trump. 
I did not know they were doing that to Schultz uh, supporters during. The, I mean, I know it was a Max Miller rally. Trump came to town specifically to endorse Max Miller while continuing to also promote his brand. Did not know that they were doing that though. And in this particular case, uh, it was far worse than that. Not only was uh, you know you weren't allowed to put on a Jonah Schultz or a Mike Gibbons or a Josh Mandel or uh, you know uh, really anybody who was opposing a Trump endorsed candidate. And by the way, before I get into the Gorka story, this was a news story this morning that I found of note. Another Trump-endorsed candidate, Dr. Mehmet Oz, of course you know from the Dr. Oz TV show, running as a Republican in Pennsylvania, got uh, President Trump's endorsement. Despite having been a career-long leftist who supported things like abortion, trans rights, if you will, which means the right to mutilate and hormone block and puberty block and indulge uh, young children in their fantasies. Well, Dr. Oz, well, maybe he had a political conversion, too. Maybe that's why he got the um, the endorsement, right? I don't know if I would agree with that, considering the fact that Dr. Oz went on the Breakfast Club show and decided that, you know, you can you can ban abortion if you want, but if you ban abortion, it's going to be bad for business. Wait, what? Yeah, that's that's what he said. Banning abortion is bad for business. So if you want to do it, go ahead. But understand, you're going to lose a lot of business if you uh, protect lives and if you stop children from being slaughtered in utero. I think I think people create some of these battles on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason we have a federal system where you have you know 50 states mm-hmm. is if you don't want to have babies in Alabama... Uh, or if you do want to, rather, and you know, want to ban abortion, then may make that loud and clear. But there's going to be a big sucking sound of businesses leaving there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's one of the reasons that the country is the way it is. And you- if you want to go ahead and ban abortion and have babies in Alabama, uh, okay, if you want. But there's going to be a big sucking sound of businesses leaving there. If you want to have babies and protect life, and stop the slaughter and the abortion of babies. Well, it's going to cost you business, so you better make your make a wise choice there. This is a Trump endorsed candidate. It's one of the reasons why I said some of the things that I did about Donald Trump's endorsement screening procedure, if you will. And it's one of the things apparently that uh Dr. Sebastian Gorka was ta- was uh talking about with a caller. Dr. G had a caller from Ohio who talked about some of the things that Trump is doing in Ohio that is very that are very upsetting. And um, Dr. Trump didn't, or excuse me, Dr. Trump, Dr. Gorka, who is, of course, a former Trump uh, administration official. He worked for the president, so he's very, very loyal. He didn't want to have any of it. He didn't want to. He didn't want to hear a thing. And when somebody brought up a host in Ohio that was expressing these things, well, I'll just let you listen to the call. Five six five fifty five nineteen. Okay, let's go to line one. Welcome to America First. Hello, Seb. Yes. Thank you for your time. Um, question: Why is Trump endorsing this JD Vance? He's enraging all of his followers here in Ohio. He doesn't even mention the governor's race during his rally. So hang on, no, what, 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 is no. this, what is this evidence that everybody who supports President Trump in Ohio doesn't like J.D. Vance? I'd like some evidence, please. Uh, did I say everybody? I said... You did. Many of his followers... You said everyone. You said everyone in Ohio. Are, 
Listen, Bob France, even today on, on his shows, is ranting about um, Who? Trump and his question. Bob France, he, he has hosted your show before. You should know Bob him. Bob France? Jeff, yeah, Mr. France. G, who's Bob France? He's on 1420 here in Ohio. What? Where's his show? He's in Cleveland. Okay. In, in, and what was Bob France's argument? Perfect. What was his argument against J.D. Vance? Why? Why did uh, Trump's no, people no, tell everybody? Why, to no, turn over I'm their asking you a different. Patrick, Patrick, stay on message. Why did he not like J.D. Vance? What, Bob, what's Bob's argument? Because um, he—he's not a he. He, first of all, in 2016, he said he'd have to hold his nose. Yeah, that's 2016. Seriously, did you not ever make a mistake? Congratulations, Patrick, for being the only man who's never made a mistake. You need to go and work on the Josh Mandel campaign. Oh, sorry, you probably do. Guys, listen to what J.D. has said in the last five years, guys. Wake up. Okay. So there was Dr. Gorka pretending like he had never heard of me, had no idea what he, what, what, uh, uh, who this person was who was expressing a different opinion than his. You'd almost think that Dr. G worked for Twitter in that moment. So I had people messaging me, texting me, saying, Bob, Dr. G just threw you under the bus. Bob, Dr. G just uh, talked bad about you. Dr. G pretended he doesn't know who you are, uh, diminished what you were saying, etc." And I said, okay. I said, uh, maybe I'll try to call in. So I contacted the producer. And uh, he said uh, he didn't respond while the show was still going on. But he called me after the, or texted me after the show and said, can you record a segment with him? Not a live one. Can you record a, a short segment with him tomorrow, which was yesterday? And I said, sure, I can do that. And I expected it to be, well, an, you know, an equal exchange of ideas. Once he remembered that we had worked together, once he remembered who I was, I thought we might have a nice exchange of ideas. Um. It didn't quite work out the way that I had hoped it would. As a matter of fact, this was the uh, one person's description of the way that went down. Hi, Bob. I uh, well, I thought I'd let you know that Sebastian Gorka just threw you on. Under- no, I'm sorry, that was the wrong clip. My apologies here. I wanted to get the clip from... Uh, uh, well, I can't seem to find that one right now, but the one who just said that, Dr. G, I heard the interview and he did not want to let you talk at all, didn't want to have anybody respond to uh, anything negative about uh, President Trump or President Trump's endorsement. So uh, let's let you hear it firsthand for yourself. This is a little bit lengthy. It's about six minutes, but it's fine. We have the time for it right now. This was the entirety of my call uh, with Dr. Sebastian Gorka, pre-recorded at their request so that it couldn't go live. Uh, probably in case they didn't like the way something turned out, I guess, so that they wouldn't have to air it. But it was pre-recorded yesterday, and here's what it was. Um, I embarrassed myself on the show earlier um, this week. I was on a call with one of the listeners. They mentioned a radio host called Bob France, who I'd actually met before COVID, which seems like millennia ago, the topic was J.D. Vance and whether or not he's really pro-Trump after he's been endorsed by my former employer, the president. Well, let's talk to that man. He is from AM 1420, The Answer, in Cleveland, so he should have some of the local knowledge. Bob, welcome to America First. 
Dr. G, good to talk to you again. How are you? All right. I'm very well, but I'd love an update from the field. So uh, every time we have JD on the show, a guy who, as far as I'm concerned, he gets it. His book, Hillbilly Elegy, helps you understand why a non-politician won. Now he's got endorsed for the Senate out of Ohio by President Trump. But my little uh, bird whispered in my ear and said, you may have a different opinion about the race. So spill the beans, Bob. Well, it's it's not necessarily a different opinion. It's that we don't know the reality, I think, of what J.D. stands for. The real, I mean, a lot of conservative feathers were ruffled big time when President Trump made that announcement because there are two other guys in this race who have been staunchly pro-Trump from the very beginning. And with J.D., and this is, I've interviewed J.D. many times, including the day after uh, the endorsement last week. And and I said to him, what I what I've said to my audience, and I'll say to you right now is, you know, nobody knows the sincerity of a man's heart except that man. All we can do is listen. Is he truly regretful of the things he once said about President Trump for, for the sake of sincerity, or is it for the sake of political expediency? And we don't know, but what we do know, Dr. G, is this. You know, these, these retractions of statements about President Trump and now being pro-America first and so forth didn't happen in 2017 after President Trump was doing a great job in his first year. Didn't happen in 2018. Didn't really even happen in 2019. They happened in the last year, year and a half when he decided he was going to run for the Senate. Now, does that mean he's not sincere? No. But it begs the question, only now, just now, we're going to say, I'm for everything that I saw President Trump doing. I don't so, believe so in Bob, all of the so things you, that I you, said you, the only, don't know that. So the, the only issue for you, Bob, is timing. Is that it when it comes to Vance? Because I look at the field, I look at individuals like Mandel, who's a two-time loser. Uh, I see a guy who's picking fights with elder gentlemen like Mike Gibbons. And also, I see the facts on the ground. This individual, J.D. Vance, a former Marine, has been endorsed not only by President Trump, but by luminaries of the America First movement. Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Charlie Kirk, you know, Don Jr. Are you saying that he's hoodwinked everybody? I'm not saying he's hoodwinked anybody. I'm saying that the conservative base in Ohio is very, very upset by this because they're not sure, especially when you consider, Dr. G, a lot of the things that, that J.D. has announced that he is essentially running on. He comes from the world of big tech. He is backed by one of the biggest financiers of big tech, and his leading statement what, uh, you know, on his platform was, I intend to uh, uh, bring big, te- uh, big tech uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to heal. I'm going to be hang the one... On, hang on, you got to stop here, Bob. I, I'm going to stop misinformation, okay? Th- this, is, this is not on. So let's call a spade a spade. Who's the person from big tech who is helping fund the campaign. Let's, let's name names. Peter Thiel. Okay, Peter Thiel is and what, the, is, what, is wrong, what is wrong with Peter Thiel? Well, nothing is wrong with Peter okay, Thiel. Okay, stop in, there, in, stop in, there, Bob, because I'll tell you about Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel okay. is a guy who sent some of the most solid America First MAGA people into the White House, and I worked with them in the National Security Council these are sterling individuals, people from big tech. And I know we've got, to be, we've got to be leery, but guess what's happening? Big tech is changing. Look at the Elon Musk decision, the idea that everybody in big tech is evil. No, Peter Thiel and his team proved themselves in the building for four years. So the idea that he's associated with one guy, do you think everybody in big tech, Bob, is bad? 
Not at all. Not at all. And I'm not suggesting that everybody in big tech is bad. And I'm certainly not suggesting that because Peter Thiel is financing J.D.'s campaign, that, that somehow J.D. is not sincere. But what I will tell you is that when you add all of these things up, the fact that somebody who, who really, really benefited big time from big tech and their heavy-handed censorship. No, no, Bob, 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 that's, Bob, Bob, that, you, you got to do better than that. Bob, you can't say he, he, you can't say he profited from big tech. No, he's associated with a guy who proved himself during the Trump administration, who sent us some of the best experts into the National Security Council. He's a guy who said, I made a mistake six years ago. He's a guy who's been endorsed by President Trump, by President so Trump's son, by one of the bravest people on Capitol Hill, no, Marjorie Taylor. So, guy, th this, it's, you're not, you're not me, providing. Me you're not, hang on, hang on. You know, you're not providing a requisite amount of evidence and I'm going to have to say this if, well, if the person no, let me finish with this let me just say this if the person because you're not the president you're not the former president you didn't work for him if the person who should be offended the most by comments made six years ago didn't take umbrage today and actually endorse the man, and I'm talking, of course, about President Trump, that I think we need to give that decision the benefit of the doubt. At the end of the day, you are right, Bob. Problem Nobody. Hang on, hang on, Bob. Hang on, hang on. But hang we, on, so we there's lots of people. There's lots of people out that. there. Mark Levin didn't support President Trump. My colleague Dennis Prager didn't. I'm sure you've made mistakes and you've reassessed them in your life. So at the end no, of the day, no, you're, you're, Bob, you're I'm going to have to finish here, Bob. I'm going to have to say this. You are right. Nobody knows what's in the heart of a man. But as far as I'm concerned, he's proven himself already because of the enemies he has. And if he has enemies like the Washington Post, CNN, and the pedo protectors of the Lincoln Project, J.D. Vance has my support. This is America First on the Salem Radio Network. We've been talking to uh, right. Bob France. So that's the way that it went. Um, and you can react as you see fit. He didn't want to hear any of the evidence and then told me you have to come with stronger evidence. He didn't want me to get into the governor's race. He didn't want me to get into uh, the censorship at the rally. He didn't want me to get into, and he completely, in fact, ignored when I did mention the fact that J.D. didn't retract his statements back in 2017 or 18 or 19, or even in 20, he retracted his statements in 21 when he was announcing he was going to run for Senate here in 22. That leaves a, a, a legitimate question in my mind as to whether he's sincere or whether he is again. And I said this to him, so I'm not talking about And I'll say it to him again when I talk to him uh, Friday, I think he's coming back on. I think we got Mandel tomorrow and Vance Friday and Gibbons Monday. We're going to talk to all three of the top three uh, contenders in that race uh, right before the election on Tuesday. And I'll, I'll say to him again, I don't know if he's being sincere, but, it, but the timing is awfully suspect. And the fact that there are, I dare I say, millions of conservatives in the state of Ohio still scratching their heads over that endorsement, it's not an understatement. It's not an understatement. And not only are they scratching their heads, a lot of them are gnashing their teeth. A lot of them are furious with President Trump. And that is exactly what Dr. G, who used to work for the former president, whose show is called America First, titled after President Trump's agenda, which is great, by the way. It's patriotic. And I love Dr. Gorka for that. But a guy who is so pro-Trump, refuses to hear anything that might call into question some of his decisions. 
And uh, it's his show. He can he can run it how he wants it. You know, that's the way it is. I've been in this game a very long time. I know how it is. It's his show. He can bully somebody off the air and not let them make a point if he doesn't want to. Uh, but that's uh, that's how that went. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Right back. Okay, 9.58, I want to squeeze in a call here before the uh, top of the hour, and this call is going to be from the guy that started that exchange with Dr. Gorka, Patrick in Cleveland. Hey, Patrick, how are you, sir? Bob, I don't know if I, you want me to apologize about this, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not at all, not at all. I'm glad you called him out, and I'm glad you tried to get in some very important points there. And sometimes, like I, I said, I, when I, people are dyed in the wool in their opinions, they don't want to hear other points. Go ahead. This seems to be his modus operandi. If you bring up anything with that sub guy, he goes crazy and loses his mind. I don't know what uh, what his well, issue is, but you know he's he's like I said, he's very defensive of his position. He's a very confident guy. He's you know I remember doing we did the stage show. I've done many stage shows with Prager and Hewitt and Elder and Pete, Peter Kersenow and Gorka. We had John Voigt up there. We've had Sheriff David Clark. Everybody in those uh, those events, you know, just allows the other side to speak, other person to speak, or the other part of the panel to speak. And Doctor G is a very domineering personality, even in a room filled with other dominant personalities. He doesn't really like to be questioned from what I have observed, and uh, that's just kind of the way he handled your call and the way he handled mine as well. Well, something's going on with him. I mean, it, it's, it's it's uncomfortable sometimes to listen to. Um, I agree. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I agree. Something weird it is, is going on here. It, well, I, but, but I don't think it's as weird as, as you think, and, and here's what I mean by that, uh, Patrick, and keep listening as I go to the top of the hour here. Thanks for the call, my friend, and thank you for calling him and mentioning me and trying to engage in dialogue with him. Uh, somebody, uh, I can't remember who hit me up on Truth Social about this and said, what are you talking about? You know, or is, or what is Seb Gorka talking about? He's acting like he doesn't know you, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I, I didn't quite know what to do. So what I did is I went on Truth Social and I posted a message. that, And I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I don't have it in front of me right now. But I went on Trump's Truth Social. And you can find me there at alwayswritewhk. And my message was, hero worship is a poor substitute for political analysis and discourse. Uh, and then I and I tagged his name afterward, at Seb Gorka, because what he's doing right now is hero worship instead of analyzing, did President Trump make the right call on Dr. Dr. Oz? Did he make the right call on J.D. Vance? Did he make the right call on uh, what he's doing with supporting Bob Paduchik and therefore Mike DeWine? He doesn't want to hear any of those things because it's Doc, it's President Trump. Of course he made the right call. President Trump makes the right call all the time. And that's hero worship. That's not political analysis. Being honest and giving political analysis is not an enemy of the America First agenda. And in fact, I think it's a supporter of the American First agenda because that agenda is stronger when it is willing to stand up to criticism and to, to expose and to analysis. And that was my message to him there. I wanted to get that message to him on the air, but as you heard, he wasn't going to have it. All right, thanks so much for that, Patrick. Let's get a timeout for news. We'll come back. Patrick Wood will join us on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve 
for our children this the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us. Always Right Radio can be heard at alwaysright.us as well, alwaysright.us. It is a Wednesday, the 27th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, We'll talk more about that uh, Dr. Gorka thing and the Trump thing and everything else in a bit. But um, I want to talk now to Patrick Wood. Normally I talk to Patrick Wood, the executive director and founder of Citizens for Free Speech, about free speech issues. I would love to talk to him right now about Elon Musk and uh, the pledge for free speech uh, that he has made now that he is the owner of Twitter. But we'll save that for our Stand and Deliver podcast that we do together every week. New episode drops Fridays at noon. So uh, you'll check for that on all of the places you get podcasts called Stand and Deliver. Patrick and I talk about all free speech issues. But today we're talking about something very, very different. We're talking about the Crimes Against Humanity Tour USA. Eight stops around the country. Patrick Wood and other luminaries are are shedding the light of truth or shining the light of truth, I guess, on the entire uh, pandemic, uh, the globalist movement to uh, essentially take away freedoms in the name of health or in the name of this pandemic, and a whole lot more. Uh, Patrick Wood, who uh, also runs a very important and popular website called Technocracy.news, in addition to Citizens for Free Speech, joins us on AM 1420, The Answer. Pat, good morning. How are you, sir? Morning, Bob. Doing great. Thanks. So give people a little bit of background on the uh, Crimes Against Humanity tour, Patrick, and then I want to talk about how the first stop in uh, in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, went for you. But give us a little background on you and your other speakers and what you're trying to accomplish here. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Reiner Fulmisch, the um, well-known and now pretty well-known German attorney, um, held a um, uh, a grand jury of public opinion. Uh, regarding all of the COVID crimes. Uh, the question that was being asked was, have crimes against humanity been committed throughout this uh, this COVID debacle for the last two years? And he interviewed uh, dozens and dozens of experts from all over the planet. He had a, a, a sitting, kind of a sitting grand jury of lawyers from uh, various countries, including a couple from the United States. And he accumulated all this evidence uh, in grand jury fashion. And we felt that this information needed to be brought to the American public on what he found, what he concluded. So uh, the f- four of us are embarking on this trip. Uh, myself, of course, uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, the well-known, uh, fairly well-known uh, you know, microbiologist uh, that has been talking from the beginning, and uh, Dr. Richard Fleming, a, a pretty well-known um, uh, cardiologist, uh, Dr. Fulmish himself is speaking. So the four of us are presenting the case, and we're asking the audience, you decide if crimes against humanity have been committed by this whole thing. And I said, very few Americans even now understand uh, the carnage that's taken place in the last two years worldwide, not just in America, the number of people that have died and the whole mechanism that led to it. 
And this needs to be exposed. It absolutely positively needs to be exposed. And I have to say, this recent case that uh, resulted in mask mandates being struck down across the country by that Florida judge, uh, Catherine Mizell, this gives weight to what we're doing because we are claiming that there were many illegal acts that took place along the way that have resulted in, you know, the, the, what we have today. So we're not just blowing smoke here. This is very serious business. These are very serious people we're traveling with. And uh, the story needs to get out to America. Patrick Wood is my guest. He is uh, the author of two extraordinary important books on technocracy. He runs a website called technocracy.news, and again, he's on this tour. Dr. Mikovits, by the way, is also, uh, in addition to being a well-known uh, microbiologist, she's an author of a book called Ending Plague, or Mikovits, excuse me, Ending Plague, A Scholar's Obligation in an Age of Corruption. Dr. Fulmish, you just uh, laid out some of his credentials, and then Dr. Fleming talking about gain-of-function research, and uh, is COVID-19 a bioweapon? Um, I know that's his part of the four-person lecture series that you're on, Patrick, but can you answer that question or give us thoughts on the answer to that question that Dr. Fleming addresses? Is COVID-19 a bioweapon? Well, this is, um, this is the consensus, the scientific consensus at this point um, that Dr. Filmish, um, you know, smoked out, if you will, by talking to all these various experts around the world. And there are Dr. Flemings, if you will, in every country, uh, it seems like, and there are all very, you know, a lot of brilliant people out there that have been uh, in the in industry, so to speak, for, for decades, and they know what they're talking about. Um, so the answer is yes. Um, we believe that, uh, that COVID-19 was, in, was intended to be used as a bioweapon, even though it's kind of a passive type of uh, an affair because it, you know, wasn't dropped by bombs or anything. But, um, you know, the people need to just look at the evidence and make up their mind on it themselves. We're not trying to, you know, say, well, this is the only way to look at it or this is, uh, you know, this is what you must believe. We just want to lay it out and let people make up their own mind. And, um, Fleming brings a lot to the table on this. I'll tell you, he is, the man's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you hear him talk, it's like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. Patrick Wood, um, this is the kind of thing, I guess, that becomes necessary when presenting this information in a more convenient fashion online isn't allowed. Uh, uh, tie this, these two things together that you are so passionate about, technocracy and, uh, transhumanism, uh, you know, and, and also, you know, citizens for free speech. Everything that Dr. Fleming says, I'm guessing, would be banned by the social media sites. Everything Dr. Fulmick says, everything Dr. Mikovits, and everything that you say would be would probably get you guys booted. So you got to take it to the people. You got to take it to a stage presentation and a four person lecture in in nine different cities. Is that kind of why you're doing this? Because you 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 have to get the message directly to the people, or else it's going to be censored or filtered. Well, that's exactly right. You know, there's nothing like connecting with people directly i have to say you know the whole social media thing and email and everything else is just a pain and it doesn't really promote understanding we we want to get in front of people and connect with them directly and uh this is exactly how to do it it's, it's the, doing it the hard way i have to say it's a lot easier to reach ten thousand people um you know over uh, an email distribution list or a, a broadcast on wherever rumble or something Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, this is the way to reach people, and we want to be able to talk to people, to uh, 
to answer their questions directly, to, you know, just help them to really get a, a, a grip on this. And, you know, this is how we're going to do it at this point. We're talking with Patrick Wood. He is part of the Crimes Against Humanity Tour USA. It's a nine-city stop, by the way. There's eight more after the Fort Myers event uh, just uh, a couple of days ago. So, Patrick, let's let's talk. Uh, you know, it's funny. I mentioned um, a lot of the information you guys want to present would likely force you know uh, suppression or censorship of your ideas if you put them online. They're trying to stop you even if you're doing it in person. Can you tell us what happened in Fort Myers? <laughs> Well, I know I was the first um, presenter um, this, this last uh, Saturday in Fort Myers, and uh, it's about 10, 15 minutes into uh, the presentation, and all of a sudden the fire alarms went off uh, in the convention center, and the strobe lights and the sirens and the voice saying, you know, there's a fire event, you know, sort of thing. And so we had to, we ended up having to completely vacate the entire convention center. Oh, what a pain. And part of the problem was we couldn't shut the thing off. There was no way to get, uh, you know, an easy switch to shut it off. Uh, oddly enough, the fire department never came. No fireman ever showed up. I think one lone policeman showed up, and then the building manager decided to come in and see what was going on. But um, this is a dirty trick that's been played many times at conferences like ours that that meet resistance on universities and, you know, other, other places around the country. So we weren't alone in that sense that we were the first one that experienced this, but I'll tell you, it is bloody aggravating to have somebody pull a dirty trick like that, uh, to disrupt a conference that, uh, really is just trying to execute not just free speech, but how about some really good information too. So yeah, it was, it was just really nightmarish. Did they do any investigating at all to find out who pulled a fire alarm? And again, as you point out, no fire truck. Usually, even if there's a false fire alarm, trucks come because they got to make sure. But apparently, somebody knew this was there was no fire in that convention center, mm-hmm. and that and that it was exactly what you described—a dirty trick. Did they do any investigating to see you know where that came from and 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 any steps to make sure that there was uh, you know not, nothing like that could happen again? Well, I talked to the tour director, and uh, he said that the, the, the facility reported uh, that it was an accident, that a cook was roasting some coffee beans or something, and it produced some smoke. And I, you know, I think that's just was just kind of a load of you know what. But um, it, you know, they they said, well, it was just an accident, and. You can't but, prove it. Beyond that, you know, right. you're not going to call the police. But, but it's not know, the first complaint. time, though, as you said. You guys were no. the first ones to suffer this, and that's that's the reality of it. I mean, there are people in you know in places, quite frankly, all over the globe. That's why they call them globalists, who don't want this kind of information being shared. That's why they censor it online. That's why they will uh, not, not allowed to be broadcast uh, if they can avoid it. And so, even in stage shows, they've got to do something. So I'm not surprised at all by yeah. that. Um, um, so where where and when, Patrick, is the next stop? The next stop is this weekend in Los Angeles, and we're going to be in Irvine, actually, not L.A. proper, but Irvine is in Orange County, which is uh, a horse of a different color compared to New York or to, uh, compared to Los Angeles. Um, and all four of us, again, will will be appearing, and I have no idea how many people are going to come yet, but uh, we hope that we'll be able to pack it out Um after that, we're going to Chicago, then we're going to come back to Phoenix, and then Houston, Minneapolis, Atlantic City, uh, Dallas, and Tampa. We'll round it out, ultimately. So we'll be on the East Coast a couple of times in Minneapolis and Atlantic City, for sure, mm-hmm. and 
Chicago's getting pretty close to that uh, neck of the woods. So there's yeah, opportunity Well, yeah, for Chicago people. is probably the closest for people here in Ohio. Uh, Chicago would probably mm-hmm. be the closest bet. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. How, uh, how can people get tickets for this? Is there a website set up or, um, uh, what's the best well, way if somebody wanted to make the They drive? do have a website. The website is just simply called Crimes Against Humanity Tour. Dot com. Okay. And yeah, and they can they can see all the information there. So, um, have you gotten any feedback? Uh, obviously, you had the disruption in Fort Myers, uh, but yes. other than the disruption, um, how, how was the conference received? It was amazing. Uh, we could have had five times the people there for sure, but of the people that were there, they were just amazed and they were totally convinced that crimes against humanity have been committed. Uh, the evidence is compelling, Bob, I have to say. It's totally compelling at this point. And uh, it needs to, It just needs to be dealt with. Just for, for the sake of just doing what's right, this must be dealt with. Even if no charges are ever brought, uh, we, we would like to you know, see at some point a court take this up and you know, try and you know, put this in a court situation to actually get some teeth to it. But even if it doesn't, we need to document this and what's happened so that it doesn't happen again. And I'm just, you know, I don't, I can't remember how many times that, that the world has said about some travesty, never again. That's what they said after Germany. Never again, never again. Mm-hmm. And it's happening again. And we need to just document it and say, okay, let's just make this one really the last one. How about we just don't do this again? But yeah, um, it, it, that's a great message, yeah. and you're right. And they'll continue to do this until they get full control of the, you know the globalists. That is that uh, you know nations are erased, American power is completely uh, destroyed, and uh, and and the, you know the power brokers that really want to see the rest of the world under uh, under their foot, you know, subjugated to them, uh, get what they want. Um, and I I'm, I'm not only like to engage in the entire thing about uh, about globalists and globalism, but if you didn't notice all of the changes in the language and in the policies of uh, uh, Canada, for example, uh, Western mm-hmm. European countries, just in response to this pandemic, if you did not notice all of the changes toward more authoritarianism and true, full global control, then you just weren't paying attention. And you probably need to listen to Patrick and Dr. Mikovits and Fulmich and uh, Fleming on this tour. Uh, Patrick, um, are these events, or is one of them going to be recorded so that maybe you can upload it onto a place where they can't cancel it, like <laughs> technocracy.news? Well, possibly. Uh, actually, I, I know that the last one in Tampa, Florida, that's going to be on June 19, is going to be live streamed. That will be a major live streaming event, and it Great. will it will be streamed all over the world. Oh, that's fantastic! Uh, which is really exciting. And every every industrialized country, especially, uh, it's going to go on. Certainly, it's going to go into South Africa. It's going to go into Europe. It's going to go into Asia, and uh, they're planning a big event for the streaming. Uh, well, you know, I the hope streaming you part. I have. I hope you have the best internet uh, t- uh, technology uh, security experts in the world protecting that that live transmission, so that it so they can indeed reach around the world. Because you know they're going to be coming to try to shut you guys up as well in, in any way that they can. Um, Patrick Wood, again, I'll encourage everybody. It's crimesagainsthumanitytour.com. If you are so motivated to make the drive to Chicago, that one is coming up in a couple of weeks. You can find out the dates uh, at crimesagainsthumanitytour.com. Patrick Wood, one of the speakers. Uh, Patrick, thank you for what you're doing, and uh, thanks for your time this morning, obviously. We'll talk soon on Stand and Deliver. My pleasure. Look forward to it.
Thanks very much. That's Patrick Wood, uh, the Executive Director of Citizens for Free Speech, an organization for which I serve uh, as the National Communications Director and also the co-host of Stand and Deliver. That's our podcast, which you can get at any podcast uh, carrier that you that you choose. I think we recorded on Podbean, uploaded on Podbean, but of course it filters to all of them. If you watch on Spotify or iHeart or, or any of them, uh, make sure that you look for it every Friday at noon, the new episode of Stand and Deliver Drops with Patrick Wood and myself. All right. When the mainstream media is always left, tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Always Right Radio at 1036. Don't forget, you can listen online at alwaysright.us. As in United States, pretty easy to remember. Alwaysright.us. And make sure you sound off on the sound off button there. That one is the easiest thing. More and more people are discovering how cool it is to be able to just record your voice through your phone or computer, push send, and have it show up on my computer for live, uh, for air on live radio. We'll answer your questions and we'll respond to your comments. Thanks again to Patrick Wood and the uh, Crimes Against Humanity tour. Um, this is a different kind of a tour. Uh, Dr. Duke Pesta is coming to Northeast Ohio for a little mini tour today, uh, tomorrow, and Saturday. Three different events, and apparently he's used to providing these events because he has delivered over 1,000 talks in 48 states, testifying about educational issues in 22 states. He is the director of the Freedom Project Academy, host of the Dr. Duke Show podcast, tenured professor of English at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, and one of America's foremost authorities on the dangers of critical race theory, common core, the federal takeover of education, social-emotional learning, comprehensive sex education, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Dr. Pesta, welcome to Always Right Radio. How are you, sir? Uh, Very well. Thanks for having me today. Good to have you, and I know there's a lot of excited people who want to come and see you tonight at the Ohio Freedom Fighters meeting, uh, 7 p.m. in Medina. Uh, you've got another event tomorrow in uh, Canton, and then on Saturday also in Medina at Medina County Friends and Neighbors. So uh, you've got a lot of people really excited to hear what you're going to talk about. So let's talk about what you're going to talk about, Dr. Pesta, particularly this ongoing war between, I think, big teachers' unions as much as school administrators themselves, uh, which intend on advancing woke theory in schools all the way from preschool through college years, uh, fighting against parents who are starting to become aware of what's going on and pushing back. Um, can you tell us uh, you know, what your analysis of that situation is? Yeah, I actually think the, uh, the conspiracy, so to speak, is between the big teachers' unions and the Federal Department of Education and the then the state administrators because that's where all the money exchange goes the, between the money leaves the federal government a lot of it ends up with the teachers unions a lot of them a lot of that money ends up at the, the state level where it uh, it pays its apparatus and so what's happening here is what you just said those groups those three powerful groups have decided that school the public schools are going to be used for very different things than we're used to moms and dads who are the victims, the ones that are fighting this battle, the ones, as you would say, are just waking up to this, they are actually still believe, moms and dads still believe that the purpose of school is ABCs, one, two, threes, leave parenting to the parents, leave social justice out of this, let moms and dads decide what's best sexually for their kids. Uh, that's the war that's shaping up. And what's really frustrating 
is that the school systems created, uh, led a revolution. They decided without a single vote, without a referendum, without consulting teachers or families or consulting Congress, they decided to de-emphasize schoolwork, math and science and English and reading and writing. Uh, everybody knows how poorly our kids are doing in those subjects. And now that we've devoutly demoted those, what have we re- replaced them with? Well, a lot of left-wing social talking points, a lot of transgenderism and, and, and highly sexualized classroom topics, uh, a lot of politics, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter stuff. Uh, so in, in a short sentence here, uh, sociology now is the primary purpose of the public schools, not learning. We're talking with Dr. Duke Pesta. Um, doctor, it's, uh, it's a remarkable thing. We used to teach health, and nobody had a problem with it in schools, usually probably around junior high level, they would teach health classes. And in those health classes, they would teach that girls have fallopian tubes and ovaries and uterus and boys have t- testicles and, 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 and XY chromosomes versus XX chromosomes. All this stuff was just, this is where babies come from. This is how it happens. And it was oftentimes uncomfortable in health class when, you know, little 12 and 13 and 14 year olds learn this for the very first time. But that's, that, that was okay. When did sex ed become sexual? Um, indoctrination into that isn't always the case and that uh, you don't have to be this way and you don't have to be that way. Uh, you can be either one of those things, regardless of what all of the science, the biology, the physiology, and the anatomy tell you. Yeah, you just nailed it. The fact is is that health course was underwritten by biology, and the, the limits of biology are adamant. I mean, there are only two biological sexes. People forget this. The word gender is a completely made-up word when it comes to sex in the body. Gender for all of its long history, that word actually applied simply to language. You know, how languages were gendered. You know, you, you put an A or an O at the end of a, a word to tend to determine male or female. Gender has never had anything to do with the human body. And so what happened was is that the so-called party of science, the progressive left, as they have done in a number of other areas, they jettisoned uh, science because science did not allow for the kind of gerrymandering of gender that came along down the road. So, you know, for a long time, it was biologically informed uh, science about the nature of sex and sexuality. But that's not fitting the bill anymore because all of these new um, uh, liberated, so to speak, sexualities, all of these made-up genders between male and female, they now, uh, and this is where we stand definitively right at this moment, actual male and female are considered uh, not real things in public universities and public schools anymore. They're made-up constructs. We believe that actual man and actual woman are made up. And meanwhile, 175 uh, made-up genders in between male and female are being pressed on our kids as if they were fact- our kids as if they were absolutely factual. And if you don't agree to those terms, then you're somehow not just anti-science, but they're going to cancel you for it. And that's kind of the, uh, the, the strange circumstance that in order to, to liberate hundreds and hundreds of made-up gen- uh, genders with absolutely no scientific basis beneath them, you have to get rid of biological men and women. We are talking with Dr. Duke Pesta. He is an expert in education, particularly uh, the dangers of things like critical race theory, uh, um, uh, social-emotional learning, comprehensive sex uh, education as well. And the federal takeover, that federal takeover continues. I literally woke up to this story this morning. 
uh, on Breitbart, Miguel uh, Cordona, Cardona, the uh, education secretary under Joe Biden, met yesterday with members of the National Association of Secondary School Principals after the group asked him to, quote, ban hostile parents and individuals from school grounds who threaten our safety. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't some wild, out-of-control person who has who has made some really, really bad statements at some point or another in a moment of frustration, and maybe even somebody who uh, threatens somebody. But to paint angry parents who are just concerned about the indoctrination of their children as being threats to administrators and to teachers and to board members, I think is a, is a tool, is it not? This is this is the way that they win the war. They silence the dissent by declaring those who who are dissenting dangerous. Yeah, this is Orwellian. They're using the power of the federal government to tell, basically tell parents. Uh, but parents, by the way, who have a right to be angry. No one has a right to be threatening. And very, like you said, very, very, very little evidence that people are threatening anybody on our side of this. But what we're doing is we're telling parents who uh, the federal government now is involved in labeling these moms and dads domestic terrorists simply because they come, to, they, they're showing up at uh, school board meetings. And it's, it's actually a farce. These are public, if these are public schools, it means it belongs. They belong to the public. Moms and dads and their real real estate property taxes pay the lion's share for the running and the maintenance of these schools. And now you're going to tell moms after 150 years of American public school system. Now all of a sudden you're going to tell those moms you have no say in this. We want you to stay away. Um, we know better than you do, mom. Not just about uh, your kids' sexuality and their politics and their moral development, but we have made the decision that you don't have the right or the, the the right progressive attitude to raise your kids the way you want. We're going to do it for you. And we're now throwing these moms out of those public schools, and we're having them arrest, arrested and docked simply for coming there to show up. And what do they get? It's a public school system. They get 90 seconds to, to voice a complaint, then they cut the mic, and those moms are told to sit down. And so the, where we are now and where you, where you started, uh, we are in a position now where public schools aren't public anymore. They're government schools. You mentioned Cardona sitting down with Biden to help school school board silence moms. That's what you get when you happens. This is this is why people have criticized public education for 150 years. Sooner or later, this was going to happen. That the federal entity, who constitutionally, by the way, has no right to have any share in public education, they were completely left out of the, the by the founding fathers. And that means if there's going to be a public education, it would have to be at the state level because what that, that which is not granted to the federal government must go to the state. So the feds took over where they shouldn't have. Common Core was the last nail in that, comp, that, that coffin. And now you have a government school system who is literally freezing out parents who are still paying for it, which is ironic. Not only is, mom, is, is this, our mom and dad's not getting anything for public about this, but they're still funding largely a system now that has cut them out. Um, Dr. Pesta, I want to talk about the intersection of critical race theory and the critical gender theory or queer theory or whatever label they want to put on it. Um, whenever I talk about these issues, I usually talk about them separately. Critical race theory, the dangers thereof, uh, the faulty logic in, anti-racism and so forth, and then the the trans movement and the, the LGBTQ movement. I, I usually do them separately, but they do intersect. Reverend Eugene Rivers, who's a Pentecostal minister, I just heard a, a, a segment he did with Lawrence Jones in which um, he declares that the, Bla- the Black Lives Matter movement has been a fraud from the start, that BLM doesn't really care about the B. It's not about black. It was ideologically always a transgender movement. 
Um, do you agree with that assessment? And and how should we treat that as we try to again protect against the indoctrination on that basis? That race and gender essentially here are 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 kind of you know uh, are kind of uniform together as one in this movement. I think that's exactly right, but it doesn't go far enough. And this is where I begin my talk. I begin my talk demonstrating with evidence to moms and dads that Black Lives Matter and, and the critical race theory, it's not really about race. It's about radical uh, c- cultural change. It really, if you boil it down, is socialism. The two founders of Black Lives Matter, the two African-American women who founded it, admit in their own biographies that they were trained trained by weather underground communists about how to go about doing this. If you look at the top 20 Black Lives Matter points, bullet points, what they want to have to do, most of them have nothing to do with race. Black Lives Matter advocates for the removal of the uh, uh, natural family, the traditional family. Uh, Black Lives Matter supports open borders, uh, the end of private property. When you scratch both the, the LGBTQ and the critical race theory, when you scratch the surface of that right below the surface, you see a lot of global socialists. And, and that's why both the LGBTQ and critical race theory, the sexuality theory and the race theory, Want you? They, they teach your kids to hate their country, to hate social uh, capitalism and free markets. They teach them that government alone can save them. They teach them that uh, all that stuff that we would expect from a socialist agenda. So the left has now gotten this is actually quite smart. They're using race and sex uh, as a cover to bring what they've always wanted, which is a radical socialist ter- uh, change, not just in this country but globally. And so, also the final word I'll say is. If you think about what happened in the National Socialist regime, the Nazis, and the Communist Socialists, if you know how they educated their own children, uh, they took kids away from the parents, they gave them a rigorous political education that was short on actual academic achievement, and they highly sexualized the classes of young children as a way to separate children from their parents and from their largely Christian upbringing. That's the, if you just go back and look at how the socialists old, uh, educated their kids all the way from 1917 to 1960, you'll see exactly what's happening in our schools today. Dr. Pesta, last question for you. What advice would you give, not just parents, You know, because my kids are grown now at 20 and, and 18, and they're in college. Uh, so I don't really have to worry about this K through 12 thing anymore, but I'm going to have grandkids at some day, at some point, I would imagine. Uh, and you even have people who are impacted just because communities get impacted by the way their schools are run, too. So even if you don't have kids in the system or grandkids, what advice would you have for people who are just concerned about the state of education and this movement towards social justice rather than full-on education? What, what advice would you well, have them? This is the, the hill you're going to want to die on, isn't it? I mean, we can... Sooner or later, the inflation will curb. Sooner or later, uh, the recession will pass. Sooner or later, we'll get competent government again in Washington, D.C. But the one thing that you're not going to be able to come back from is if we allow another couple generations of American school kids to be, to be completely indoctrinated and brainwashed, to hate their own country, to hate their own history, to believe, as many of our kids do, that, that America alone in the history of the world is owned slaves, that Americans alone engaged in colonial activity. Uh, this multiculturalism, which which shelters non-Western culture from criticism, but but foists all that criticism alone on Western culture, this will be the end of us. I mean, right now, in a recent recent poll, people between the ages of 18 and 25, that is college-age kids, right, or young people, 75%, three, of, three out of four of them, would change to a socialist system to, right now if you let them. 
And in two more generations, you're going to have a majority of Americans who crave systemic socialism and do not understand what they're throwing away in throwing away liberty in Western culture. That's how serious this is. Dr. Duke Pesta is going to be giving speeches on all of this and taking your questions as well. Three events coming up. The first one is tonight, 7 p.m. at the Ohio Freedom Fighters meeting. Uh, that's at 7291 Stone Road in Medina. He's going to be in Canton tomorrow night at 7 p.m., speaking at Mulligan's Restaurant down there, and then at the Thirsty Cowboy on Saturday uh, in Medina uh, for the Medina County Friends and Neighbors meeting. Dr. Pesta, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for the great work you do in educating people and informing them about the dangers going on in the school system right, systems right now, and we certainly appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, Tom, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Dr. Duke Pesta. That's good stuff. That's really important stuff. I'm going to have to make sure that we save his number because uh, he he brings a very, very, I think, a clarity to this that a lot of other people can't. Because it's confusing, a lot of it. And when you get to intersectionality and the different uh, agendas and, and how they cross over one another, it can be difficult to process. He brings a lot of clarity to that, and I really appreciate that. Ten fifty five, AM fourteen twenty. The answer always right. Radio. I just want to finish off that conversation with a little clip here. The one I was talking about from uh, uh, from uh, Fox News with Lawrence Jones. Who, by the way, I'm a fan of. I like this guy. I like his delivery. I've uh, I've liked him uh, and all of his appearances on the other shows. But he's got his own show on the weekend now. Uh, does Lawrence Jones, and it's a good one. Uh, if you're into Fox News, I know. And by the way, a lot of people say I don't watch Fox News anymore because of what they did. You, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to measure and weigh pluses and minuses. You're going to have to measure and weigh whether you're going to abandon all of the good that someone does because of a few things that were bad. Um, there are a lot of very positive, positive conservative things that come out of Fox News that make me overlook some of the terrible things and some of the negative things. And Lawrence Jones is, is a good one, but he was talking with the Reverend Reverend Rivers that I talked about. Uh, about how this was this was never supposed to be about black communities. Black Lives Matter was born of uh, a, a, an, an intent to push the LGBTQ and specifically the Tea Part, the trans movement in this country. The Black Lives Matter uh, movement uh, was being supported not by people who were concerned about what happened to the the conditions of black people. It was basically ideologically a transgender movement that co-opted this initiative to promote an agenda that had nothing to do with saving the lives of black men black people or the black community it was a scam from the beginning and 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 i thank you for providing some space in this country where there can be a transparent discussion of the fact that black lives matter was a pseudo-radical movement that exploited the suffering. And the irony is that it did nothing to save black lives. And that is a strong statement. It's an accurate statement. It's one that I want more people to understand, especially when you get into the schools and the things we were talking about with Dr. Pesta, especially when you get into the critical race theory and then the critical gender theory or queer theory. Understand that they are inextricably linked 
and the 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 Black Lives Matter movement, which is largely pushing the critical race theory movement, truly is using black people and black suffering, if you want to call it that, as Dr. Rivers referenced, to advance their trans agenda. If you can't see that, again, watch a little more closely. Open your eyes. It's there. It's for all to see. All right, let me get a call or two in here before the top. John is in uh, where? Chardon. John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yo, Bob. Yo, hey, John. regarding Sebastian Gorka, Gorka, I made a call to him about Obama running the Biden administration from behind the scenes. His response was that Obama was too lazy to do that. I stopped listening to him at that point. And I think he's he's not as smart as he thinks he is. And whether he's uh, it, intentional or not, he talks down to people, to his callers. I mean, how I got – tell me if I got this right. After meeting you some time ago, mm-hmm. he he didn't know who you, who you were recently. You know, so bring back Michael Med, Medved in that time slot, I say. <laughs> Well, well, I'll tell you what, John. You know, I I don't disagree with a lot. I'm not going to disparage him and uh, and you know get into a war of words in that way. But I do understand what you mean by talking down. It, generally speaking, he doesn't like to let other people talk if there's going to be a disagreement, uh, particularly with President Trump or something President Trump stands for. And again, that's his style, and it works for him. He's highly successful. He's been obviously he's worked for President Trump in the White House. Thank you for the call, John. By the way. Um, yeah, and, and obviously he's got a, uh, you know, a, uh, syndicated radio program. So it works for him. He's got his own style and I'm not going to condemn or, con- or complain about that. And if he wants to limit what I can say in response to him, that's okay. I've got my own platform too. Um, but I do understand and I understand how that could be off putting to some. I was a little bit put off by the fact that we did an entire three-hour stage show together uh, back in 2019, right before COVID hit. Uh, and I, in, in fact, apparently I impressed him enough that he asked me to host his show in his absence, which I did. And, of course, I've hosted Prager, and I've hosted Elder, I've hosted Hewitt, I've hosted all of them. Um, and then for him to say, who, what? And the reason he did that was just to say, whoever it is you're saying doesn't trust Trump's endorsement of Vance is a nobody um that that was the intention the way to to deflate the argument is to diminish the deliverer of the argument claim that he's a nobody you don't know him you've never heard of him who is that why what is that to me is a good way to disparage the message by uh or rather to diminish the message by disparaging the messenger if that makes sense to you Thank you, my friend, for the call. Let's get a quick time out here. We'll do some news. We'll come back and talk Ohio. We'll talk about that Vance endorsement. Neil McCabe hasn't been heard yet since the rally in Delaware and the endorsement of McCabe, the endorsement of LaRose, the endorsement and the shout-out to Faber and Paducek. Neil McCabe of the Ohio Star will join me next. AM 1420 The You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I, 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. I'll, I'll start the segment a second here. I, I, I'm, on, I'm on hold. Thank you for calling Ohio Republican Party Chairman Bob Paduchik. You have been on hold for 36 days. Your call is very important to you, Chairman Paduchik. Please remain on the line. He'll be with you shortly. Yeah, I've, uh, I've got patience. It's a good thing I've got patience. 36 days? Republican Party Chairman Bob Paduchik. You have been on hold for 36 days. Your call is very important to you, Chairman Paduchik. Please remain on the line. He'll be with you shortly. If I didn't know any better, I would think that Bob Paduchik does not really want to talk to me. And it can't be, right? Why would Bob Paduchik not want to talk to me? After his corrupt, slimy, ORP, State uh, Central Committee endorsement of Mike DeWine was carried out the way that it was. His slimy trip from Ohio to New Jersey to try to get FaceTime with Donald Trump to push uh, Jane Timken on him for an endorsement because he didn't want the people of Ohio to decide who their Senate candidate should be. He wanted to make that decision, and who would it be other than his predecessor as the chair of the Ohio Republican Party? Hmm, nothing wrong about that at all, and probably isn't. Probably nothing wrong with that at all. That's why I wanted to ask him. I wanted to ask him, is there anything wrong with that at all? But he refuses to take the call. 36 straight days now we have been either calling or emailing or texting Bob Paduchik and his team to come on the radio and answer some of these tough questions. But Bob doesn't like tough questions. And I guess that's what makes him Bob Paduchik. All right, 10 minutes after 11, hour number three is underway on this Wednesday. It's the 27th morning of the fourth month, year of our Lord, 2022. Let's bring in our Ohio Star reporter who joins us uh, for commentary each and every Wednesday at this time, and that, of course, is Neil McCabe. Hey, Neil, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Bob. It's, uh, you know, it's tough that you guys can't connect the dots. He's a very, very busy guy. <laughs> well, yeah, I can tell. He's had me on hold for quite a while, quite a while now. Uh, he is. He's he's busy. He's busy uh, sucking up to the right people and uh, pushing away people that he thinks that are, that are the wrong people, including reporters yeah. like yourself and Jack Windsor and Dwayne Pullman and and uh, and other reporters who don't deserve the right to be in the same room and cover the events that he is involved with. Right. And you and you, know, you mentioned Jane Simpkin, and. You know, maybe the most egregious thing that Timken did as chairwoman, chairwoman of the Republican Party is she did not act. She saw what she had to do, and she chose not to do it, where he is actively doing bad things. And, you know, I've been in the room at the uh, Central Committee meeting just watching this guy, and I'm thinking, you know, I went in with, a, with an open heart and an open hand and an open mind, and I left saying, who is this tyrant? <laughs> Well, you know what, Neil? Um, there's a lot of tyranny, I think, that goes on uh, in 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 the Republican Party in the state. To be honest with you, uh, and I want to talk about some of some of that, uh, some of the tyrannical actions that were held on Saturday in Delaware. Were you were you at the rally? I was not, but I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> you I, enjoyed not being there. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? I've been to a lot of Trump rallies. I've been to a lot of them in person. The last two weeks of the 2020 campaign, I probably watched 
every Trump rally. Like, there will be a Trump rally over at, like, midnight, and there will be another one at 2 o'clock, and I'm staying up. Like, I'll just stay up for the next one. Like, I, it's, it's, it's almost the same line. It's almost the same show. I will watch it over and over and over again. And so I, I'm never tired of it. I don't know why it's so interesting to me, and I think you probably feel the same way. Uh, no, I don't actually, uh, because it is oh. the same. It is the same old lines. It is this, and it's not that I disagree with them, but I mean, he's got to change it up a little bit if he's going to keep having the rallies. Because um, I do, I hear the same messaging over and over and over again, uh, and and I'm with it, and I cheer for it, and I support it. But you know what? I, I I really love a lot of movies too. I won't watch them back to back to back to back to back. I might watch them again, you know, three months down the line. You know, if you got if, if it's Shawshank or one of your favorite, movies. but but uh, I'm not going to see the same lines delivered again and again and again and again and get just as excited uh, the next time around. What I'm looking for is for something fresh and something new. What I was looking for on Saturday in Delaware, and yeah. I wasn't there. I was I was at the one in Wellington, but not the one in Delaware. I was looking for him to actually address this governor's race. I was looking for him to do something to acknowledge that the people of the state of Ohio have suffered greatly under the leadership of Mike DeWine. I was looking for him to acknowledge that uh, the, the conservative base, the Trump base, the America First base is very, very... Uh, disapproving of Mike DeWine, and that he might say something to encourage us to get, uh, you know, to get him out of there. But then I thought to myself, wait a minute, this is President Trump. President Trump has never, and nor ever will, admit a mistake. And he once endorsed Mike DeWine. So if he says Mike DeWine's got to go, that means he was wrong about the guy. And that's something we were never going to hear. Well, listen, uh, you know, he, he, he certainly admitted that Mo Brooks was a mistake, and you know, I, I think it's a it's a big feeling of Trump endorsement are, you know, the guy is, you know, the guy's not hitting a thousand percent. Right. But he said he's doing if you hit three, if you hit 35 percent. Right. You, you win the American League batting title. And I think that Trump is a wall in the Ohio governor's race. And it has something to do with some some bad juju that must have gone down during that, uh, that 2018 race with Renacy. Renacy was going to run for governor. Trump asked him to run against Sherrod Brown. And then, and then basically Trump refused to, tr- to trash Brown and didn't do it. Like in the Republican, uh, the National Republican Senate Committee didn't back up Renacy. That's right. And, I, and you know, they, and that's McConnell, who basically watched that thing go down in flames. And, you know, why... Why would you allow Jared Brown to keep that seat? And, you know, if you remember those midterms, the House Republicans under Paul Ryan left 40-0 House seats unchallenged. They basically took a dive almost because they wanted, I can't prove it, but I think it's because they wanted Trump impeached. But Trump worked like a dog to hold on to the Senate, and he actually picked up three seats. So... I, I just don't know why they would take a – why did they decide they didn't want Ohio? Uh, because, of course, we, you know, they, a Republican in that Ohio seat, like we're seeing this year, that's a pine box seat. They basically take you out in a pine box. You have it as long as you want it and as long as you don't really do something crazy. I think that's well said, uh, and and uh, the, you know this this should be very easy for uh, for the the Republican primary winner to win. We're talking with Neil McKay, by the way, of the Ohio Star. I want to go back though to the Dewine thing for a moment. 
he largely stayed out of it. You're right. Right. But by doing so, I think he definitely impacted it. When he stood on that stage and praised Bob Paduchik, who did indeed uh, guide through uh, to, to uh, the, the endorsement of the incumbent governor uh, in a very, I think, underhanded way. He didn't even make him be there to, to ask for the endorsement of the state central committee uh, because he knew he would be booed if he showed up that, that, that day in February. Um, and, and, and he shepherded through that endorsement anyway. When you praise Bob Paduchik, who is the right-hand man and the supporter of Mike DeWine, and you don't mention Jim Renacci, you are tacitly endorsing Mike DeWine, and I think that's what he did. So he stayed out of it, but he didn't stay out of it. Yeah, I just wish I knew what the, that bad juju was, because there's, there's something going on, because it doesn't make sense. And I think, you know, a lot of times, Trump will, well, do, well, will, is this a good time to bring right. up the LaRose uh, quid pro quo, Neil? And maybe you can find that juju. Um, it was predicted yeah, by some. A nice bump, huh? Yeah, it was predicted by some, uh, including uh, my friend Tom Zawistowski at We the People Convention, that uh, there was a quid pro quo that was in the offing. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Donald Trump endorses J.D. Vance, very unpopular among Ohio conservatives, that move, needs some support for that, offers state uh, uh, candidates in their races an endorsement from him if they will second his endorsement for J.D. Vance. And sure enough, on Saturday, here comes Frank LaRose, very unpopular, never Trumper, uh, took Zuckbucks. Uh, you know, a lot of people do not trust him, and he endorses J.D. Vance for Senate. And then, oh, how about that? Immediately after, President Trump endorses Frank LaRose for re-election in his, um, in his, uh, 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 Secretary of State role. So think about that. The guy who runs Ohio elections is making an endorsement in the election. That, that, that in and of itself, I think, stinks to high heaven. How can the guy who's responsible for the results of an election actually make a public announcement of his favorite in a race? Yeah, and like you said, I'll just second it, that uh, LaRose did everything possible to do in Ohio what Raffensperger did in Georgia, and then basically hand over the whole apparatus to, uh, to the leftists, not even Democrats. I, you know, I guess what it comes down to is I really, I'm really grateful for Trump, and I really want Trump to succeed because when Trump succeeds, he's going to push the agenda that means something to me and the people I grew up with, the people who are forgotten. But he is surrounded by just a basket of snakes. It's just there are some horrible people around him. And we saw it with the Morgan Ortegas endorsement in Tennessee. And we've seen it with some of these other moves that there's just no explanation on the outside. But on the inside, something went down. And uh, the quid pro quo? Well, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a guy who got impeached over quid pro quo. So I don't want to... I don't want to go too far, but I, of course there was a deal. Yeah, of course there was. And um, and this, again, is begging the question of, you know, what happened to President Trump? Because the, the guy that I saw on that stage making backroom quid quo, quo pro deals and literally uh, quid pro quo, excuse me, and literally selling his endorsement if somebody will give him a secondary endorsement of the guy that he chose in J.D. Vance. That That's, that's swamp-like behavior and that's not what president trump has been for the last five and a half years four years of his presidency and the first year and a half of uh, of brandon uh, I, I don't know who he is i don't know what that is well, i don't know how he gave week. his endorsement to dr oz did you hear dr oz on on the breakfast club yesterday he basically announced that um 
uh, states that are going to ban abortion, that's bad for business. He literally said, if you want to ban abortion, make it loud and clear, there's going to be a big sucking sound of businesses leaving there. So we know he has long been for abortion. He's been a very well-known leftist, and Dr. Oz has the seal of approval of, of, of 45, of Donald J. Trump. And I'm still trying to figure this out. Neil? Was that... That Breakfast Club thing, that was, uh, is that recent? I didn't see it because I saw... Well, it, ju- it just popped in, up on Gravy. I was in Pennsylvania a week and a half ago at a town hall with uh, with Dr. Oz. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Oz went, uh, you know, went head to toe saying that he was pro-life because his mother-in-law was a... Back in the day, his mother-in-law was one of the early pro-lifers, and it was a condition of his marriage that he'd be anti-abortion. And so I, I don't know the context, but certainly... Well, I'll tell you what I have. Uh, yeah, this popped up on Grabian this morning at 8 a.m. Correction, yesterday <clears throat> at 8 a.m. And he is speaking as what appears the reason he's on The Breakfast Club is because he's a candidate. So it would have to be okay. new. It would it would have to wow. be new, uh, whether it's yesterday or not or, or, or Monday. I can't confirm. I'll try to confirm that. But here, you can make of it what you will. Uh, and this doesn't sound like somebody who's pro-life everywhere. Let's listen. Right, we're going to try to try to listen here. Hold on. I think yep. I think people create some of these battles on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason we have a federal system where you have, you know, 50 states, mm-hmm. is if you don't want to have babies in Alabama, uh, or if you do want to rather, and, you know, want, want to ban abortion, then make that loud and clear. But there's going to be a big sucking sound of businesses leaving there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's I, I don't understand how he's basically saying, if you want to be pro-life, go ahead. But just so you know, it's bad for business. I, well, instead of uncomfortable, why would it seems really, really, really awful and evil that he would say a huge sucking sound when he's talking about abortion? Oh my gosh, I didn't uh, even make that connection, but you're right. That's terrible wording. Yeah, and that's um, that's I think it's callous at a minimum and evil, um, evil phrasing. I, I just, but you know, I you know, I just heard a uh, you know, it's just. I heard him speak at the town hall in Bristol, Pennsylvania, and he, he addressed it. And so, you know, it makes you wonder what what's going on there. I think if you swing back to the Ohio race, you know, in the J.D. Vance endorsement, like we yeah. were talking last week, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's almost like J.D. Vance got that, like I said, J.D. Vance got the endorsement just before he didn't need it anymore. And I see that uh, the Club for Growth, is now backing Josh Mandel, you know, going after Vance and Trump. And that's very interesting because the Club for Growth doesn't really have its own money. What they do is they get donations from people who then, who then gets donations from people who then place, the Club for Growth then places the ads they're, they're hired to place. Yeah, um, that's that's a great point uh, that you make, um, Neil. Before you go, tell me what impact you think yeah. that endorsement is going to have now. Um, some polls have come out that have shown uh, that JD, ha- <coughs> excuse me, has surged into the lead now that he has this endorsement. But I have been talking to some people who study this, who say they believe that the pushback against J.D. because of this Trump endorsement is going to be so strong that Mandel is actually going to end up winning this thing. Now, these are these well, are people who study not, elections I mean, for a living. You know, Mandel <laughs> is not giving up, and Mandel is still campaigning like a dog all over the place. And the, the, what to look for is who collapses. And so, 
if you see, say, Gene Timken collapse, you know, where does that go? I think if you create a race of J.D. Vance and Mandel, then it becomes, you know, where does Gibbons stuff? You know, where does his stuff, where do his supporters go? I think that's what it comes down to. And, you know, J.D. Vance has some rich friends, too, so we'll see how he responds. Yeah, no, you're you're right. He does, and uh, and you're right about who collapses. And by the way, Jane Timken getting a cease and desist order from President Trump and his team and his legal team, saying she cannot use his name or image in any more of her campaign ads because it um, gives the false impression that he's endorsing her. That pretty much does <laughs> cru- that. That pretty yeah, literally. So, I don't know if you saw that letter, but that literally no, will crush like, her. Yeah. So they, hiring they, all the hiring all those Trump staffers was money well spent by dear Jane. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly right. She put, she pulled in all of these people with all of that money, uh, and Trump is saying, "Yeah, stop talking about me. You're not my you're not my person." Uh, so uh, you're right. Where do they go then? Where do they go then? And if anybody else collapses between now, uh, you know, where, if the Dolan people recognize that maybe this is just you know never going to happen, you know, where are they going to cast their votes on Tuesday? That's the great I question. Mean, but I do know that the true conservatives in the state are really really upset uh, with JD and may hold may hold what just happened with Trump against him. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, Jane was going to have this strategy of, uh, you know, with Portman and try to sort of pick up the votes from Dolan and some of the other non-Trumpier people. She was trying to be MAGA and then, and then also pick up the non-MAGA. And I think she basically ended up not appealing to either one. So I think if, if there's any candidacy that'll complain, that'll collapse, it'll be hers. Whereas Dolan, you know, I think his hardcore three to five percent pretty much stays there. Hardcore three to five percent. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty hardcore. Uh, if you're backing him at this particular point, yeah, you are very hardcore. And that or your last name is Dolan. Uh, Neil McCabe, uh, great analysis. We we're kind of all over the place today, but then again, so are these races. Election day is Tuesday. You and I will have a great opportunity to react to all of it and break it down on Wednesday next week. Neil McCabe of the Ohio Star. Thanks so much for the time. Hey, Bob, we'll see you on the morning after. You got it. That's what it will be the morning after. It's uh, 1126. Hey, I want to remind you before we go to the bottom of the hour news, get your tickets for 2,000 Mules uh, online only. You can only buy them at 2,000mules.com. There's only very limited release. There's going to be, check your local listings. It'll show in theaters on May 2nd and May 4th. But again, limited release, limited theaters. So May 2nd, which is Monday, May 4th, which is Wednesday of next week. Check your local listings and buy your tickets at 2000mules.com. This is full-on video evidence of the theft of the 2020 presidential election. By way of mules, vote ballot harvesters uh, that are caught on camera. 2000 Mules tells the story of the ones that tried to hijack the election. You'll see the video surveillance, tracking of their cell phones as they go box-to-box stealing the election. So if you want to see that, we're going to talk to the... uh, uh, filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza about that coming up uh, tomorrow, I believe, on tomorrow's program. So uh, we'll have more information on it there, but don't wait. Tickets will be limited. Go to 2000mules.com, 2000mules.com. Get your tickets for one of those shows. And we're back after the news.
side of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1137 now. Final segment of Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer, alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Make sure that you uh, check that website each and every day, multiple times a day as we constantly update it with new stories. Uh, and also, of course, to leave us messages. Make sure that you, if you've got something to say, uh, make sure that you say it at sound off on uh, alwaysright.us, like uh, this one. Good morning, Bob. Just wanted to uh, tell you uh, real quick that I saw on Facebook uh, Joe Blystone for governor on his page. Uh, he posted that he's filed menacing charges against DeWine for the incident that happened at the livestock show. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know in case you hadn't heard. Thank- I did hear. I did hear. Thank you for that message. <laughs> Remember that little incident where Blystone went to DeWine to ask him why he won't debate, which is cute because Blystone won't debate Renacy. Um And he claimed that DeWine grabbed him by the arm and said, I'll kick your blank. And maybe he did. I don't know. I don't care. But whatever it was, he filed charges against Mike DeWine. You talk about the desperate campaign of the hat. The big hat is looking for attention any way he can find it, other than the, oh, by the way, I have uh, taken a whole bunch of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars collectively, um, uh, without reporting it in a blatant abuse of the campaign finance laws uh, or violation of those laws. So to take attention off of that, he literally has filed a lawsuit, or charges rather. And there's a headline under Blystone for Governor of Ohio, DeWine under investigation for menacing threats against gubernatorial candidate Joe Blystone. Mike DeWine's temper gets physical, it says. It's an actual thing. The hat is such a farahad and he is hoodwinking so many people into thinking that he's John Dutton fighting for the rights of the everyman and the landowners and, and farmers and ranchers, and he's the exact opposite of big businessmen. And, I mean, the whole production is just so bad, and it's so bad for Ohio because it's going to end up costing good conservative people's votes for Jim Renacci that would boot Mike DeWine out of office. That's what it's going to end up doing. And that's just a cry and shame. But the big hat is putting on a show. There's no there's no doubt about that. Charlie and Westlake. Hey, Charlie, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. What a great show. This is so entertaining from Gorka to, 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 to <laughs> Musk. Everything's so, inter- so entertaining. But, hey, the one issue that I have, is everybody said, oh, J.D. Vance is converted. And I'm all for conversions. You know, he's converted to Trump. But he has not converted to Trump supporters. Last week on your show, he said, my dad loved Donald Trump. He isn't a racist, not even a bit. Insinuating everyone who loved Donald Trump's a racist. I, I just think he has not converted. He's putting on a fraud like the hat. He's a show. And I'm going to be up on a bridge waving that deep. J.D. is a a phony because you can't prove he's not. He doesn't like Trump supporters. He has not converted. That's how I feel. Well, Charlie, I appreciate that. Thank you for the message. Um, Here's the thing. He responded to that uh, when I asked him about the Trump supporter part about racists and xenophobes. And he said it was you've got to understand the context. 
And as you know, I try to be as fair as I possibly can. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to do here. He says he was asked about Trump supporters who fly swastika flags and, and make racist comments and things like that. And his statement was, look, there might be some like that. This is his defense. There might be some like that who are racist and xenophobic. There might be some element of the Trump support base that's like that. But the majority of them are not. Now, it's not how I would have answered it. I would have said, if anybody is doing that, they're not actually Trump supporters. They're infiltrators. If anybody is doing or saying that, they're not conservative. They're leftists because that's what leftists believe. And that is not what conservatism is. That's what I would have said. He said there are some, you know, and the reality is, there are. I mean, you know, there are neo-Nazi groups or, or skinhead groups or whatever you want to call them, white supremacy groups, uh, that lean more toward, you know, Donald Trump, for example, than they would say Barack Obama. So in, if you were looking specifically at the letter of the statement, you could say, okay, there is an element of, of bad people who like a good guy. But you don't judge the bad person by the fact that some, or excuse me, you don't judge the good person by the fact that some bad person likes them. That doesn't mean he's doing anything to bring that about. It is also a very, very teeny, tiny, tiny minority of the people that are, you know, coming to Trump rallies and Trump support. I, I think he could have been a lot stronger on his response. I agree. Uh, I bet he wishes he had that one to do over again, too. Uh, and when I gave him a chance to, he just said, well, here's the context. And the vast majority of them are not, but there are some that are. But, of course, there are also some who are blatant racists in the Joe Biden camp, blatant uh, racists in the Barack Obama camp. Uh, and, and that's just the reality of the situation. Does that mean everybody who likes Biden is racist? No. Does that mean Biden particularly tries to appeal to racism using racist dog whistles? No, not at all. But. When he answers that, that, yeah, there are some like that, I think he could have gone a lot further and a lot stronger to distance himself from criticism of Trump supporters. I agree with you on that, Charlie. Hi, Bob. I've been listening to your comments about the Senate race in Ohio, and it is all about who can win, and that was what Trump has made the assessment um, about Vance. Um, I agree with that. I I do not think that Josh Mandel can win. Um there are many people that I know in my area who do not like Josh Mandel. He comes across as too temperamental, too brash, um, too opportunistic, too ambitious. There will be things in his past that will be surfacing, and he is not a strong candidate against Tim Ryan. And that is the end story. Um, who can actually beat Tim Ryan? And unfortunately, it is not Josh Mandel. All right. Thanks. There you go. That one came from Mary from Alliance, and she said clearly she's in Camp Vance, saying all of those reasons why it shouldn't be Mandel. Uh, I thought it was interesting she did not even give Gibbons a mention, because I think all three of them are locked in a very, very tight three-way fight for this thing on Tuesday. We will be speaking with all of them, by the way, one more time before uh, you go to vote on Tuesday. Tomorrow, Josh Mandel will join me along with General Flynn. He's got General Flynn along for support, who has endorsed him. Friday, we'll talk to J.D. Vance again. Monday, we'll talk to Mike Gibbons again. So one, two, three, we're going to give you give them one last opportunity to try to convince you they're the person for the job. Thanks, everybody, for today. Great conversations, great interviews, uh, really Enjoy great job all the way around by everybody. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.